We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system. But not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Laura Ehrlich. She's an acupuncturist out in West L.A. She's the co-clinic director of L.A. Herbs and Acupuncture, and she has a specialty in Chinese medicine for fertility. She spent 16 years as a doula prior to doing acupuncture, and she has a new book that she has co-authored called Feed Your Fertility, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. So, the title of your book is a bit provocative. You think so? Well, I think so. <laughs> awesome. Uh, How so? Well, feed your fertility. Most people, when they're thinking about fertility, at least the patients that I see, they're either thinking about hormone levels or mm. they're thinking about uh, what their Western doctor is telling them that they should take in terms of hormones or if they're doing IVF, uh, what kinds of things that they're on for that. Even the people that come in that aren't even considering IVF yet, they just like to get pregnant, they're not usually thinking about food. So talk to us a bit about how you got to this place with looking at how you feed your fertility and, and the importance of diet. Well, um I think I'd like I would like to start by actually saying that the title, although it is feed your fertility, it encompasses a bit more than just food. It, it really is. Um, we chose the title from the perspective of thinking about the way that we feed ourselves or nourish ourselves in many different ways, and that, of course, includes food as kind of a front and center priority. But in addition to that, do you nourish yourself through? sleep through your relationships through uh self care like meditation or or holistic medicine or various different ways that we um take care of our own selves because in order to become a parent one has to 
secure their own mask before assisting others. And so there's a big component in our culture where we tend to compartmentalize aspects of our health as though they're not connected to our entire being. And uh, in my practice, I find that to be very, very much true in terms of patients struggling with fertility, especially patients who are a little bit older, you know, in their late 30s and early 40s. They're so established in their busy lives and their careers and their social obligations that the self-care piece becomes very secondary and they want to kind of come in and just take care of their ovaries. And so what I've learned um, over a number of years of doing this work now is that we have to back things way up and figure out, you know, where are we undernourished in life, not just in terms of food, although that's almost always the case, at least in the United States, but also in terms of the other aspects that I was just describing. So, so the title was about encompassing all the different ways that we feed ourselves. But beyond that, food and nutrition has always been of interest to me. When I was in my 20s living in New York, I was really lucky. I kind of stumbled upon a wonderful place called the Natural Gourmet Cooking Institute and started really learning about things like five-element nutrition and um, all of the, the, the importance of whole foods and how to properly prepare whole foods. So it's kind of been an undercurrent in my practice since uh, I, I became a, uh, started working in holistic medicine in the late 90s. Sure. In fact, it sounds like the food piece came into your life before the medicine piece came into your life. To a degree, yeah. I, I was living in New York and I attended the Swedish Institute for Massage Therapy and that was where I, I got my introduction to Chinese medicine and, and became a doula kind of right after that. So it all sort of happened concurrently, but the food piece um, was definitely important for to me personally very early on in my life. And have I have used food as medicine for a very long time to heal various different things throughout my own life personally and for my family, et cetera. So it definitely was has always been a piece of, of the healing puzzle for me both with my patients and uh, in my own life. Sure. You know, there's that uh, old phrase, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. Absolutely. And I think that's absolutely true. And really when it comes to fertility and any internal condition, but really with fertility specifically, we can look directly at certain kinds of foods because, you know, we're talking about hormone levels, for example. Well, unless you're getting enough cholesterol in your diet, and enough minerals in your diet, your body doesn't have the raw materials it needs to make the hormones. So we can inject ourselves all day long, but at the end of the day, in terms of reaching internal balance, we need to provide our bodies with the foods that are necessary in order to make those things so that we can utilize them. And the standard American diet, at least for the last 30 or 40 years, has been terribly uh, deficient in a lot of those things. In fact, people are advised not to take those things, not to consume those things, and rather to take a pill to try and make up for what's missing. And that is, that is, in my opinion, you know, the detriment to the health of our culture. And that's why we're suffering so much from all of these chronic conditions, because we can't synthesize a vitamin in a pill and swallow it and expect to have the same impact as if we actually consume foods that our body knows what to do with and how to turn those things into resources. Right. You mentioned cholesterol and its vital role in the creation of hormones and in the balancing of hormones. 
Yes. This might be surprising to a lot of our listeners. I'm sure it is. And, you know, it's timely. I feel like that um, future fertility is coming out right now because just in the last couple of weeks, there have been um, a lot of interesting things in the mainstream news media, including the um, new guidelines that were just put out. Uh, as in terms of what Americans should eat. I'm wondering if maybe soon we'll see a new food pyramid. I don't know. But um, the the powers that be have very recently deemed cholesterol as no longer a nutrient of concern. So That's a huge shift. It is a huge shift, and it's going to take a lot for people to wrap their minds around this. But unfortunately, the original decree that cholesterol and slash saturated fat was the primary culprit of cardiovascular disease was based on pretty faulty data in the first place. And so now we're kind of finding out that for 40 years, we've been literally fed the wrong information. And as a culture, we have been eating the wrong foods. And, you know, myself, I'm now in my early 40s and, and my whole life, as long as I can remember, this is the way it's been. Low fat was the way to go. I mean, I was a, you know, part of the the 80s low fat craze where everything came out chemically laden with, you know, less fat and more carbohydrates and and with everybody getting put on statin medications to reduce their cholesterol and and what do we see now after 40 years of this? We see people are very sick. Yes, a lot of metabolic mischief. A lot of metabolic mischief, and so we've we've tinkered a little too far into the natural processes of the body and attempted to manipulate them in a way that I don't think anybody necessarily had poor intentions, but um, it has resulted in a lot of illness and in, and in my opinion, including infertility. And so it does take a big shift. And you know, when I sit down with a new patient and talk about diet, they they often look at me like I have three heads when I'm saying things like, "No, you ha- you need to eat the yolks of your eggs, and please, please eat full fat dairy, and and put cream in things." And you know, it's all about the sourcing and finding the highest quality versions of these products. Talk to us about what high quality means in these kind of products. So often in my practice, I ask patients about their diet and they go, you know, I eat pretty healthy. And my follow-up question after that is usually, great, so tell me what healthy is. Right. And, you know, that gives you a ton of information. A lot of folks, I suspect, don't even know what it means to source quality foods. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Absolutely, absolutely, because it is complicated. I mean, my husband makes fun of me now because uh, I often will say organic isn't good enough, and he's like, oh, my goodness, what? Um, But in fact, that has become true. You know, the term organic has um, become totally ubiquitous, and everybody thinks, well, if I'm eating organic eggs, for example, that's good enough. But the truth is we have to separate out commercially raised food from farm-raised food. And so in my opinion, what I I would call proper nutrition is food that is sourced locally from farmers and where you know what the animals are being fed and how the animals are being raised. And that's a lot for a lot of people. A lot of people feel like that's more than they can handle. But once you get in the routine of it and once you find those sources around you, actually, it's quite easy. And it's you know, in Chinese medicine, we talk about the the microcosm of the human body being a reflection of the macrocosm of the world around us. And 
I think if there's one thing we can probably all agree on, it's that the world around us is not doing so well when it comes to being uh, chemically polluted and um, pretty toxic. And so as individuals, the only way that we can be a reflection of a healthy world is by choosing to uh, obtain things from the world around us that are a reflection of that good health. And so, you know, finding farmers either through your local farmer's markets or there are there are even, although this would be a second choice, still totally viable, um, lots of farmers around the country who will ship food to people, whether that be meat or even certain types of dairy products, if you just can't source it locally in your area, but that that would be ideal. When we're talking about eggs, you know, you want to either find eggs from somebody's backyard chickens where you, you know that the chickens are out there foraging and eating what they're meant to be eating, or from a farm where they're going to tell you that the chickens are not eating GMO corn or soy or other things that are not really appropriate for the, the chicken's digestive system and therefore are not going to translate into the healthiest possible food source for us. Um, eggs are such an important staple of a healthy diet and have been throughout human history. And so we want to find eggs that are coming from animals that are eating the way that they're supposed to be eating. Right. They're out foraging for bugs and eating all kinds of stuff. Yep. Yep, and if they're and if they're being supplemented, they're being supplemented properly with scraps and and real food, as opposed to some newfangled chicken feed that contains God knows what. So for me, that the the sourcing is the key. It's all about where do you where are you getting it from? You know, I'm a big proponent of unpasteurized dairy products, for example. There are a lot of states, unfortunately, where that is illegal, which is quite bananas and and you know, really a reflection of the the dairy lobby more than anything else. Because when you look at the information, you really actually see that unpasteurized dairy products result in a much lower incidence of foodborne illness than pasteurized dairy products. And I think it's really important for people to understand that the pasteurization process is a result of moving animals into these um these giant livestock farms where they are not being fed proper food, where they're not getting given proper outdoor access, where they're highly stressed out. And consequently, they're very sick. You know, if we all ate Cheerios all day long, we would probably get sick too. Sure, especially if we're crowded together. And especially if we were, yeah, if we were all jammed together and being force-fed gummy bears all the time, we would probably get sick. And so this is what these animals are enduring day after day. And as a result, they're sick. And as a result of their sickness, we have to give them lots of antibiotics and other medications. And to be on the safe side after they're slaughtered, they're also, the meat is treated with things like ammonia and other things to reduce the... Um, the risk of disease and dairy products are pasteurized. They're heated up as a means of killing germs. So I'm curious to know, some of our listeners may not know the benefits of raw dairy products. Right. right. Uh, so raw dairy, as opposed to um, pasteurized dairy, is actually a superfood. It it is a whole, complete nutrition source. It contains all the amino acids, many B vitamins, cholesterol, or, or proper saturated fat that we're able to assimilate. Um, it's a perfectly balanced food. And 
in its raw form, it also contains lots of enzymes and probiotics. And those enzymes and probiotics make it extremely digestible for humans. So lactose intolerance is has become a much bigger issue for humans as a result of pasteurization because uh, the pasteurization process eradicates all that healthy bacteria and many of the enzymes that are necessary for the digestive process. So oftentimes people who don't tolerate dairy will do very well on raw dairy products. Because it has all the ingredients to help digest it. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's a really highly nutritious food. It's affordable. It, if you can find it. If you can find it. Raw milk is actually, at least in California, quite expensive. But I think the other thing that you find when you start consuming well-sourced, full-fat dairy and, and full-fat meat, and what I mean by that is meat on the bone or meat with the skin or cuts of meat that are not made to be perfectly lean, what you find is that you actually don't need to eat large quantities of it in order to feel nourished. And so um, while it is more expensive, you can make a lot of these foods stretch a very long way because it's not about sitting down and eating a 16-ounce porterhouse steak. You know, it's really about incorporating these things into your diet by using the whole animal. So you're making broth out of bones. And Talk to us a little bit about bone broth. Is that something that you recommend for your patients looking to increase their fertility? I do. I recommend it really highly. Um, the bone broth is a traditional food. It has, there's a guy named Weston Price. He's a doctor. He was a dentist and he traveled around the world looking at traditional cultures and what they ate. And he was, he was able to recognize that traditional cultures who ate certain foods, including bone broth, were much healthier than people who ate a more contemporary, uh, more processed diet. And bone broth has been considered kind of a, a sacred food, a mainstay for cultures all over the world. And the reason for that is because it contains again, all of the raw materials that we need to replete our bodies. So, you know, we're in a constant state of breaking down and building up. That is, that's what it is to be alive. And uh, we have to get that stuff from somewhere. And so what's inside bones are things like collagen, gelatin, all of the minerals that we need and all of the amino acids. So with bone broth, we're really talking about building blocks for hormones for making bones, for making muscles, for making, you know, nerves, everything in our body um, is is really supported by the ingredients that come from bone broth of all different from all different kinds of bones. So there's a big section about that in Feature Fertility and and we really recommend that people have at least a cup a day. And that can be, you know, that can come up in different versions. You can drink it like a tea, you can make soup out of it, you can even um, cook properly prepared grains in it and get it that way. So there's lots of different ways to get it into your body, but it is a one of those things that um, I recommend really highly to be consumed on a, on a very frequent basis. Mm -hmm. You just used a term that caught my attention, properly prepared grains. Uh, I know grains are a little controversial these days. Grains are, are controversial these days for good reason, in my opinion. So traditional cultures prepare grains by soaking sprouting or souring them. And what that means is basically putting them in some water and a little bit of an 
acidic or cultured medium, like you put in a little vinegar or lemon juice or whey while you're soaking them. And what it does is it starts to ferment the grain a little bit and allows it to sprout. And what that does is it, it negates something called phytic acids. Phytic acid is in the hull of grains and it is what's called an anti-nutrient or a nutrient blocker. So when we eat whole grains that haven't been soaked, there's actually a component, a, a part of that molecular structure that prevents our bodies from absorbing minerals. And so when we're eating lots of grains, we're actually we're actually kind of depleting our bodies of minerals. And minerals are, are critical building blocks for all kinds of body function. So in order to mitigate that and get rid of a lot of the phytic acid, we want to properly prepare grains. Now, there are a lot of people out there, paleo folks, lots of people who feel like grains should not be consumed at all. Um, there are uh, people who are equating too much grain consumption with brain conditions like epilepsy and Alzheimer's. And I think that there, that we may be on the right track to some degree with that. I think it's very difficult in our world for people to give up grains entirely. Um, especially, you know, our generation of, of people who grew up being told that grains were what we should be eating. Right. They call it healthy whole grains. Healthy whole grains. Right. Um, you know, but a lot of the recent data is showing that whole grains, this notion of the glycemic index and some things causing a bigger blood sugar spike than others, while it may be a faster blood sugar spike if you're eating a tablespoon of white sugar, you're still getting a pretty big blood sugar spike even if you're eating brown rice. And so um, there are questions about whether or not it makes sense for people to be eating greens at all. I don't generally take such a hard line with it because I don't want anybody to feel alienated. Like they can't eat the foods that they like, or they, they don't know what they're going to eat if they don't include grains in their diet. But I do talk a lot about, you know, if you're going to eat grains, you want to prepare them at home or find a health food restaurant that definitely prepares them properly. I think the vast majority of restaurants do not properly prepare grains. The same is true for any kind of legume, beans, that kind of thing. You need to, they need to be soaked. How long do they need to be soaked for? 12 to 24 hours is usually sufficient. So I, I typically soak things overnight or, you know, as I'm making dinner, I'll, I'll soak beans or something if I'm going to cook them the next day. And in our household, it's not something that we have. We don't have that every single day. You know, I have a child. It's, it's challenging for him to not have bread, for example. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are mm. a mainstay. Of course. I try to use sprouted wheat. Uh, sprouted wheat bread for him. Trying to transition him onto sourdough a little bit, but not that ready. Sourdough bread, though, is another example of of bread that is okay. It's a traditional food, but you need to find sourdough that is properly prepared as well, and that means that it shouldn't have any yeast in it. It's just the soured grain, water, and salt typically would be the ingredients. So. That's another sourcing issue. Can you find bread that is um, properly prepared? And if you really like bread, you know, sourdough is a really good option. As long as it's truly the soured version. Precisely. Right. Real, real sourdough. And you're probably not going to find it um, at the local grocery store. No, but you might find it at the farmer's market. You would fi certainly find it at the farmer's market. Um, and uh, Whole Foods, in fact, if there's one in your area, has their own brand that's pretty pretty good that we like a lot. What other kinds 
of foods are important in considering when you're thinking about really nourishing yourself in a traditional way and nourishing nourishing your fertility? Some things that maybe our listeners wouldn't have heard of or or maybe uh, would even consider, oh, this is probably bad for me, like the cholesterol, but it, but actually in reality, it's essential. Right. Well, one of the things that we spent a lot of time on when we were researching and writing the book was the, the notion of nourishing Jing through, through food. And Ah, Jing. Now, now there's an interesting term. Can you Jing tell us what that means? Jing is a term that I, yes, that I'd be happy to expound upon. So in Chinese medicine, the concept of Jing is that at the moment of conception, when egg and sperm meet, the soon-to-be fetus slash baby slash human is bestowed with Jing from its mother and father. And Jing is considered kind of a sacred, precious substance that is, at least the Jing that you get at that moment of conception is a prenatal Jing. It is something that is like a, a finite, precious tank of gas. And once it's gone, it's gone. And that Jing is what determines uh, a lot of your the baseline health issues in your life. And we can, we can minimize our depletion of Jing by supporting our bodies in through life. Uh, so prenatally, that would, that would be, uh, up to the mother in terms of the food that she eats and the way that she cares for herself. And then once the baby is born, uh, the food that the child is, is fed helps to support their what we would call postnatal jing supply and modern lifestyle is not very jing friendly it is um we don't eat foods generally in the standard american diet that support taking care of jing and uh of our prenatal jing and we also don't often go out into the world to figure out well what do we need to be doing and jing is not just from food i mean we're talking about feeding your fertility or feeding your your baseline health that also comes from all the other things we talked about sleep and self-care and and healthy relationships and all the rest of it all of that supports our postnatal jing and so it's sort of like the more postnatal jing you give yourself the less you need to deplete the stuff you were born with and we want to hang on to that for as long as possible the stuff that we were born with and that stuff is essential in reproducing as well it's critical in reproducing, absolutely, because again, the more Jing you have at the time of reproduction, the more you're going to bestow upon your child. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, Visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Right. You know, I see this in a number of patients that come to me uh, for help with their fertility. And uh, sometimes I kind of scratch my head and think, you want a child? You don't mm-hmm. have room in your life for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a big piece of it, especially as we're seeing women with, you know, as they get older, trying to have children and their lives are very full. And so taking taking a step back and slowing things down is really important. Um, 
And so in terms of food and nourishing food, nourishing your body or nourishing your jing with food, uh, we really found that, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the sacred foods are traditional foods. They're foods that have been eaten throughout time that have been given to women in traditional cultures for the purpose of making them more fertile. Oh, boy, you know, we see this in, in Asia. Um, yes, there's we sure certain do. herbs or certain foods. Good grief. There's certain herbal formulas that are right at the checkout counter at the 7-Eleven. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, That's right. That are about boosting blood and, and things of that nature. That's right. And so some of those foods that are kind of surprising to us in the West are things like liver. Liver is probably the most uh, most replete with, with postnatal jing food we could ever consume. And, you know, I often point out to my patients when they scowl at me when I recommend liver um, – that we're, we're, we're omnivores, but we do, in my opinion, require animal sources in order to function optimally. And so if you compare yourself to another carnivore, for example, looking at a lion or, or really any other animal that eats animals, what do they do? What does a lion do when it, when it kills an elk? It eats the organs and it leaves the muscle meat for the crows. Mm-hmm. The organs are where they're where it's at. They're where the nutrition really is. And when it comes to things like liver, of course, sourcing is vital. You have got to find liver from grass-fed, pasture-raised animals who are not being filled with medications and things like that that can store in the liver. So that that's a really critical piece of it. But once you're able to acquire that, it is full of nutrients, chock full of nutrients that we positively need for fertility, including the full spectrum of B vitamins. It's the highest source of folate, which is really important, as we all know, for pregnancy and for fetal health. Um, it's got all the good cholesterol in it. It's It's got most of the B vitamins, um, including a high content of B12, which is also very important to prevent anemia and for overall energy levels and, and health in pregnancy. So uh, in future fertility, we go into many ways to prepare liver that are both appetizing and also simple. And it doesn't have to be something that's consumed on a daily basis, but um, we do suggest once or twice a week that there's a couple of ounces of liver that make their way into the diet. And that can be anything from pate to, you know, I often will grind liver with and and mix it in with ground beef for a casserole or chili. That sounds like an easy way to get it into you. Extremely easy way to get it in. And you really don't even taste it. I mean, I mean, I, I'm sure my family is going to listen to this, but they don't usually know when they're, when they're eating liver. Great. That, that's exactly the way I want to be eating liver. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's easier than having the conversation ahead of time. Sometimes I'll let them know afterwards, hey, there was liver in that. And they, you know. <laughs> my, my wife is, is kind of tricky too. She's, yeah. <laughs> she's been kind of into fermented foods lately, kimchi in particular. Uh-huh. And, the, uh, and the juice, you know, that's full of all that good probiotic stuff. Every now and then she'll kind of look at me and go, did you notice the sauce was a little different today? Kind of spicy, don't you think? <laughs> do you know what I put in it? It's like, oh, God. Of course. Yeah, thank you, See, honey. Good for her. We got to do what we got to do. Oh, yeah. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy and lucky mm-hmm. that she cooks like that. It takes care of me that way. It puts this stuff in that even though I know it's good for me, probably not going to seek it out. 
Exactly. Exactly. So let me give you a couple other examples of Jing foods because I think sometimes it's surprising and, and ways, things that we can really add into our diet that are very easy. Oysters. Ah, Oysters, Great. Um, which are, you know, have the, have the aphrodisiac connection. They're already associated with fertility. Sure. But one of the concepts of Jing or replenishing Jing is this idea of eating the whole animal, right? So that, that does include when we're talking about eating organ meats. But when you're eating small crustaceans like oysters, you are eating the whole animal in one fell swoop. So that is an extremely nourishing thing to do. Um, also, the, the salty, briny component of it in Chinese medicine nourishes the kidneys, and the kidneys are kind of the, the seat of reproduction. It's where our jing lives. It's also where we um, draw our reproductive energy from. So, um, And a lot of hormonal uh, functioning happens through the adrenals. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the kidneys are um, obviously where the adrenals sit on top of and the uh, consumption of things like oysters, very nourishing for the adrenals as well. Any kind of shellfish or or crustacean fish like that, um, mussels, shrimp, a little lesser to to a lesser degree shrimp, but things like mussels, clams, and oysters are, are very, very jing replenishing and fertility supporting. And the other thing that I I found really surprising and didn't realize is fish roe. And it doesn't have to be super-duper fancy caviar. You know, fish roe can be purchased quite inexpensively. And ounce for ounce, it is the highest content of vitamin D of any food you can possibly consume. Oh, I didn't know that. Thousands of IUs of vitamin D in a teaspoon of fish roe. And that's something incredibly easy to have as a snack, you know, on a, on a, on a seed cracker with a little sour cream and some fish roe on top. And now you have given yourself, especially if it's sour cream from grass-fed cows, you've just given yourself an incredibly nourishing, quick snack that is uh, very, very supportive of fertility. So there's a lot of recipes and, and ideas for, for Jing foods in Feed Your Fertility. And for the most part... I don't think there's anybody out there that wouldn't benefit from it unless these things are already really adequately in their diets. And you know, I also use as a, as a, a jing supplement in my practice fermented cod liver oil as well. And that is another um, sacred food. There's really only one company that prepares cod liver oil properly through this fermentation process. It's called Green Pastures. And um, that is another food that's very high in uh, all the omegas that we need, like DHA, which is one another one of those supplements that's sort of been isolated out. But in my opinion, we do a lot better when we eat the whole spectrum of omegas as they come in a piece of fish or uh, in fermented cod liver oil in this case. And fermented cod liver oil is also high in vitamin D and in the proper ratio to uh, vitamin A. Vitamin A and D need to be in, in a good ratio to one another for optimal health and for fertility. And uh, liver and fermented cod liver oil are really the only, or they're the primary places where we receive that particular nutrient. Uh, the idea of eating carrots to get adequate vitamin D, unfortunately, is a little bit of a fallacy. Our bodies don't do the best job converting beta carotene, which is the form it comes in in carrots, to vitamin A. So vitamin A is another 
very important nutrient that's often missing uh, from the standard American diet. And so for people who are just plain adverse to liver and are not going to do it no matter how much I beg and plead, then uh, the fermented cod liver oil in a higher dose is recommended. But generally speaking, although I'm not big into countless supplements, I do think that as a food-based supplement, fermented cod liver oil is is very useful and important for fertility and pregnancy, and even to give to young children. Sure. Well, classically, cod liver oil was given to young children. Yes. Yep. And it, and it still is in the kind of traditional food movement. But, uh, you know, it has a bit of a funny taste. And so we have to get our kids used to it pretty early or find ways to mask it. Right. But, you know, I'm all about tricking. <laughs> so... You've tossed out the term nourishment, and we've been talking about food here, and it, and I'm sure we could actually go on for hours talking about food, um, but I'm going to recommend that people buy your book. Let's talk about other ways that women can nourish themselves in preparation for making babies, or even just people can nourish themselves in general. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think this can be a really touchy subject for a lot of people because our our culture has become so fast-paced and we're so inundated constantly with stuff to do you know our the busy being busy is the new normal being so busy that you don't have time ever to come up for air is just considered normal and it not just normal but people are often proud of how busy they are i worked 80 hours this week exactly right and the, the, as though that that that's a that's a positive thing, and maybe it's a, bot- a positive thing for the bottom line of your bank account, but for your health and longevity, it most certainly isn't. And so it's very much about striking that balance and finding ways on a daily basis to take care of yourself and to nourish yourself. And I think that's a little bit different for every individual, and I think it is very much based on things like how much stress did you experience earlier on in your life? What's your stress response like as an adult? How is your world structured in terms of support and relationships? And, um, you know, how much how much time do you need for yourself on a weekly basis or a daily basis in order to feel as though your world is, your your nervous system is stable, that you're not always stressed out. If you're waking up at two o'clock in the morning with your heart racing and you're spinning in circles about what you're going to do in the morning, there's that there's something wrong. Your body's out of balance. And so what can we do to try and make that shift so that that's not happening any longer. What are your recommendations for that? My recommendations for that are everything from acupuncture, of course. I mean, I think one of the one of the primary functions of acupuncture is that it does help shift the nervous system out of that fight or flight state that we're all very accustomed to being in far too often, far too much of the time. Fight or flight is supposed to be reserved for actual imminent threats like being chased by a tiger. Uh, It's not supposed to be for every day in morning traffic, but we all exist in this low-level fight-or-flight state, especially urban dwellers. And so one of the things that Chinese medicine shines at is helping to bring the nervous system back into a more rest and relaxed state or parasympathetic state. And the more times I believe a person is able to touch into that place in their own body, that innate place of relaxation, the more easily they're able to get there on their own. So 
uh, depending on the individual, you know, at least weekly acupuncture is very useful. And then really implementing self-care strategies, whatever those are. Oftentimes it involves sleep hygiene. It involves turning off all electronics at least 90 minutes before going to sleep. Ooh, you are a little radical, aren't you? I am. I'm crazy. Turning down the lights, maybe lighting some candles, maybe reading a book or listening to music, um, but not. But starting to unwind and actually create space for the nervous system to go into a sleep state, not after watching CSI Miami, but actually from from a place of calm and feeling like you're you're ready to get enough rest to be prepared for the next day. Um, I think exercise is critical, but I think over-exercise is, you know, equally detrimental to not exercising at all. And that's a little bit different for every individual. Mm -hmm. What would you consider over-exercise to be? For women, I think over-exercise is anything that keeps their BMI too low because we all need a, a certain amount of fat on our mm-hmm. on our bones in order to uh, have sufficient resources for pregnancy and anything that causes injury. So, you know, when somebody comes in and tells me they're preparing for a marathon and they want to get pregnant, I kind of, well, okay, let's wait till maybe after this marathon is over and then scale that way back. So I think, you know, I, I don't want to give a, a broad generalization of how much works for everybody. I know for myself three or four times a week doing, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of cardio is plenty, but I have a pretty active lifestyle. Otherwise I don't sit at a desk all day for somebody who sits at a desk all day. They might do better with, you know, a 60 minute walk every morning, but probably not a 60 minute walk followed by a kettlebell routine followed by, you know, going to a CrossFit class that's a little too much and it ends up being depleting rather than supportive. So exercise should make you feel better. It should make you feel less stressed. It should make you sleep well. And if it's not doing those things, then it's either too little or too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And then beyond that meditation, Ah. meditation is so crucial and so uh, confusing and and intimidating for so many people so i there's there's a section on meditation also in future fertility where we talk about like some teeny tiny little meditations that you can do in 30 seconds you know the purpose of meditation other than attaining enlightenment which that's a whole other can of worms um is again to help shift that the nervous system back into a relaxed state and you that can be done the the goal is to every stressor we encounter to counteract that stressor with some sort of calming exercise. And whether that means going into your office and shutting the door and taking 30 seconds worth of deep breaths or, you know, actually sitting down and and doing a proper meditation for 15 minutes or listening to a guided visualization, there's all kinds of different ways to go about it and countless uh, variations that that can make it really accessible for most people. Right. Could you give us an example of uh, of a quick one that people can do? I know that a lot of my patients find it to be intimidating as well. Mm-hmm. They expect they're going to sit down and empty their mind, and it will float peacefully and quietly. And of course, that usually doesn't work because that's not the way the mind works. And so they think they failed, and they think that they're not capable of doing it. So have you got something that's that's simple and doable? Yeah. So one really simple and doable one is 
when you start finding yourself feeling stressed or feeling anxious, to stop what you're doing, sit down and close your eyes and pick two words, one word to breathe in and one word to breathe out. So you might decide to breathe in peace and breathe out calm or breathe in tranquility and breathe out anxiety, Um, whatever it is. But for about 30 seconds to a minute, it doesn't have to be that long to just consciously focus on your breath and focus on the words. And the reason for the words is because it takes a, a lot of practice to actually quiet your mind. And so like you just alluded to the idea that we can just sit down and close our eyes and quiet our mind and meditate. That's, that's pretty difficult for beginners. And so we definitely, um, uh oh, they're doing a little construction in my building. I hope that's not too loud. We definitely want to f- to focus as much as possible on little things and on things that we can use as focal points, like words or like um, different types of breathing, that sort of thing. And when people are ready to sit down and try to do a more a longer meditation, another the way that I learned to meditate, which I still use all the time, is just a counting meditation, where you very simply just inhale and exhale the number one, the number two, the number three. And the goal is maybe to get to 20 and back down to zero, but without having your mind wander and your thoughts trail. And if they do, then you just kind of come back to one and you set a timer for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or as long as you want to do it. And that kind of also gives you a bit more, like you don't have to worry about how long you've been up to this for. And it's just about practice. Meditation is just a practice like anything else. And if you find your thoughts trailing off to what you're going to cook for dinner, then you just come back and start at one without judgment or without being mad at yourself or whatever. And, um, that's also really effective because you can do it for as long as you want, and and it's a way of stilling the mind through using numbers or letters or whatever whatever resonates sure. for you. And you can practice that in your day-to-day life. When a disturbing thought comes up, you can just kind of let it go and come back to your breath. That's right. That's right. And also behavior modification stuff. You know, a lot of us need to learn how to talk to ourselves differently. We need to look at, well, what are the things that I say to myself that are effective? And what are the things that I say to myself that aren't serving me properly? And so especially for women going through fertility uh, struggles, you know, this is a phenomenally stressful process. And so learning how to kind of redirect their thoughts from I'm never going to get pregnant to I'm open to the universe, you know, a lot, helping me become a parent in whatever way is appropriate for me or whatever sentence works for them to replace those thoughts so that when the negative thoughts bubble up, there's already a plan in place to, um, to change the, the thinking a little bit. Yeah, the self-talk, the, the reality will shift with the words. Exactly, mm. exactly. Can you tell us a bit more about how Chinese medicine helps? Chinese medicine in all its glory. In <laughs> all know, its I'm glory. Try to... So Chinese medicine, I'm in addition to acupuncture, obviously, which we already touched on quite a bit, is really helpful from all different vantage points. I mean, Chinese medicine really encompasses looking at the whole person. So Chinese herbs are extremely effective for nourishing um, both the physical body and the emotional body. We can do a lot with Chinese medicine to help manage depression and anxiety, uh, adrenal fatigue that comes from too much of depression and anxiety or stress, long periods of prolonged stress. 
Um, Chinese nutrition is another way to look at an individual and properly target what that individual needs to be eating to, to manage their nervous system and their overall health the best. So, you know, what's amazing about Chinese medicine is that it really does look at the, the whole person, the body, mind, and the spirit. Um, and then it has a lot of very specific ways to address the way an individual presents themselves. And so whether that is anxiety or depression, they're two sides of the same coin, but we're going to address those things very differently in terms of the things that we recommend that people eat and you know, take in terms of herbal medications and how they might sleep and how they how much they might exercise and that sort of thing. So, um, Chinese medicine is is really wonderful because it's all about customizing a plan to the unique individual. It's not a pill for every ill. It's not you have low estrogen, so let's just give you some estrogen. It's you have low estrogen, so what can we do to direct your body, to help your body make this substance a little bit more effectively through food, through herbs, through acupuncture, through meditation, through getting enough rest. And a nice liver dinner. And a nice liver dinner. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Tell us your website. How, how can people find you? My clinic and website is LA Herbs and Acupuncture. And um, we have a blog on our site as well. Yeah, your blog is, by the way, I just want to let listeners know the blog is awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've taken thank a look you. at it. And if you're thinking about working with your fertility, um, or if you're just looking to nourish yourself in the way that we've been talking about nourishing yourself, blog is awesome. Thank you. Yep, it's a it's a work in progress. We're still we're still building it, but blogs some, always are. There's some cool pieces out there. I know it's it's a forever, forever process. I also do phone and and Skype consults for people as well, uh, if they're if they're just wanting kind of an overview. I obviously can't treat them with acupuncture in that way, but um, in terms of nutrition recommendations and, you know, talking about kind of lifestyle approaches that might help optimize fertility. That's something that I, that I often do as well. Wonderful. And you've got your book. How do people find your book? Um, the book is available wherever books are sold. It is, uh, <laughs> uh, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes, all the various online premieres. I think it's also for the two bookstores we have left in America available in paper form uh, at, at most of the major bookstore chains. And we've also set up a website, feedyourfertility.com. And um, you can get the book right through the website where there's also some bonus material on the website. Awesome. We will put links to all of that stuff on the show notes page so people can just jump over and, and click right over to it. Okay, great. Laura, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 